Welcome to this podcast from the Bay Church. We hope you're blessed by the message. To find out more, please visit our website at www.the-bay-church.org.uk. So as you can see from the screen, this month we're starting, although it'll go on for longer than this month, we are starting to look together at the book of Acts. And undoubtedly it is a challenging study for us as we go into 2019. You may be pleased to hear that we're not doing an exhaustive, systematic, verse-by-verse exposition of the text, or you may be disappointed. Instead, we're taking a thematic approach, unlocking specific passages of Scripture under the broad headings of Encounter, fellowship, and action. And today, my task is to present an introduction, a taster to the series, which is great because it gives me license to kind of dip in where I want and mess about with all the other passages that other people are going to have to speak on. even though when they come and look at them, they'll be completely different to anything that I might say. But that's fair enough. So, Acts of the Apostles. Or another possible title for this book is Luke's Gospel, the sequel. After his blockbuster gospel. But I think the best and most appropriate title is undoubtedly Acts of the Holy Spirit. Because within this book, we will find, and and I encourage you, because we are not going through it verse by verse, I encourage you that this would be a good opportunity for you to read this particular book while we are studying it, so that you are ahead of us, so that you also fill in the gaps that we may leave. And as you do read this book, you will find that we are introduced to ordinary people who are empowered, filled, anointed, and overflowing with Holy Spirit. That's why it's acts of the Holy Spirit. But before I get my teeth into the actual text, I want us to consider a quote. It's something that I read over 30 years ago. That's even before Google. Do you realize that? A pre-Google, a pre-Google quote this is. And I found it challenging when I first read it and I still find it challenging today, probably even more so. So I want us to look at that. You may be familiar with it. Google, who obviously now exists, tell me that it is this or a variation of it is by a gentleman called A.W. Tozer. So this is, the, this is the quote I want us to look at. If the Holy Spirit had been removed from the New Testament church, 95% of what they were doing would have stopped. If the Holy Spirit was removed from today's church, of what we are doing would continue. 
Who agrees? Hands up. Some dissent in the ranks, I see. So I want us to pause and think about this. Now, you may want to ponder on your own because you don't like the person you sat next to. Or you could briefly chat and mull over that quote because that's what I wanted to do. This is called participation, folks. <laughs> I know it's unusual, but we'll get onto that later on. It's very unusual. Participation. And if you're listening on the podcast, you can join in too, just sit back and think about it. And for the sake of the podcast, because they'll think, oh, I missed that, I'm going to repeat the quote. If the Holy Spirit had been removed from the New Testament church, 95% of what they were doing would have stopped. If the Holy Spirit was removed from today's church, 95% of what we are doing would continue. Discuss. So, confer or ponder. Go on, have a little natter. How are we doing? See, I believe this quote exposes the key to understanding the nature and purpose of church. So, any feedback? Don't be shy. Sorry? Yes, it's true. Not here. <laughs> Everywhere else but here. <laughs> One diplomatic. <laughs> I wasn't sure about the percentage. You weren't, you weren't sure about the percentage? I agreed with the statement, but I wasn't sure, even in the Acts of the Apostles, whether 95% was the percentage. I see. Mm. And you have this on good authority or just. <laughs> Any other feedback? Sorry, say that again. How do we turn it around? Also, oh, a question rather than mm, I don't know. <laughs> David had a good point. Come on, David. You wouldn't turn up if the Holy Spirit wasn't here. You mean? Right. Any other feedback over there? Um, just setting aside Alan's need to be exact in the percentage. <laughs> 5% I think is great because 5% of what they were doing on that basis is not of the Holy Spirit. So they were clearly ordinary people making mistakes and jumping into sin. But the 5% Right? Yeah. So you're taking this very personally, are you? <laughs> As in this church? No. No? No. 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 Okay. Hand at, was there a hand at the back there? Yeah. 5% relationship, 95% is uh, religion. Religion. 
Ja. Good. Say that again, please. My, my understanding is that the quote's talking about like, you can do things in your own strength, can't you? So you can put on, you know, you could have a, you could have a, a children's playgroup that was either totally spirit-inspired or you just did it in your own strength through gritted teeth. And there's a certain thing about church that once you start church, then, you know, things kind of snowball and you pick on people's human strengths and you get them involved, and, and we say it wouldn't be a good idea to do this, do that, do the other. Now, whether that's of the Spirit, or whether that is just us wanting to do good stuff. So what that quote is saying is that 95% of what the New Testament church did had to stop because they couldn't do it. Because it was totally dependent upon the power of the Holy Spirit. Now that could say the nature of what they were doing, that they probably weren't doing playgroups and they weren't doing, you know, whatever. Although they were waiting at table, weren't they? And, and you know, and taking care of the poor. And, but even then they chose people who were full of the Holy Spirit to do that, didn't they, you see? So that's the challenge that in many ways you can find, and you, and you do find it in, I mean, when he talks about the Galatian church, you know, when they said, you foolish Galatians, you know, you started so well. You started in the spirit and now you've kind of slipped into your old ways again, haven't you? Because in some ways it's easier or it's, or it's more predictable. You can, you, can, you can do, I was going to say a rotor, but that might sound a bit too close to home. You can do planning easier in your own strength sometimes than you can in the spirit because who knows where the wind's going to blow, who knows what's going to happen within the life of a church, you see. I mean, five-year plans always puzzle me. I mean, how on earth can you have a five-year plan and know what, what the Spirit's going to do in five years' time with you, unless the Holy Spirit reveals it to you, of course. So I find it a very challenging quote. Very challenging. And if you've learnt nothing else today, you can you've take something home to chew over. Now, across the 28 chapters of Acts... Probably the best known passage. What would you say was the best known passage in Acts? Pentecost. Pentecost. If you can read my notes. <laughs> Pentecost. The day of Pentecost. Now, Paul Mortimer will be expounding more fully on this <laughs> next Sunday morning, so come early if you want a seat. Right? Now in Acts 1, before he ascended into heaven, Jesus said to his disciples, Don't leave Jerusalem, but wait here until you receive the gift I told you about, the gift the Father has promised. 
For John baptized you in water, but in a few days from now, you will be baptized, you will be immersed, you will be drenched in Holy Spirit. And the response to this was that about 120 believers held a 10-day prayer meeting. Now they didn't say let's hold a 10-day. Let's didn't say let's get together and hold a 10-day prayer meeting. It just took 10 days, and then they were interrupted. The prayer meeting was interrupted rather abruptly. Could have been a 20-day prayer meeting. It could have gone on, but they were determined to just get on with it. You see, but after 10 days, something happened. And this prayer meeting included Mary, Jesus' mom, and his four brothers. He had a big family, you know, Jesus. He had at least, he had four brothers that the scripture tells us about. He had at least three sisters that scripture doesn't tell us about because they were women. And just for some reason we didn't mention women. So uh, it, it was a really big family. But his four brothers who were at this prayer meeting didn't even were unbelievers until Jesus' resurrection. It's pretty startling, I suppose, to have your elder brother suddenly appear to you after having been dead. I suppose it would convert most people, and it can be quite disconcerting and a tad unsettling when your elder brother turns out to be God. (laughs) You play Monopoly with him all that time as you grow up, and then he, he suddenly springs that one on you. In Acts 2, verses 1 to 4, it says, On the day Pentecost was being fulfilled, all the disciples were gathered in one place. Suddenly they heard the sound of a violent blast of wind rushing into the house from out of the heavenly realm. The roar of the wind was so overpowering, it was all anyone could bear. Then all at once, a pillar of fire appeared before their eyes. It separated into tongues of fire that engulfed each one of them. They were all filled and equipped with the Holy Spirit and were inspired to speak in tongues, empowered by the Spirit to speak in languages they had never learned. Now what happened that day, and I'm not going to go into too much detail, what happened that day is commonly referred to as the birthday of the church. But if, if you think about it, what does, what does that word mean to you? Church. What feelings, what emotions, what experiences does that word evoke? Now for many people, church is a building. A place that you visit, hence the term churchgoer, because you go to church, to a building. For those who are a tad more discerning, and they know it's not a building, practically speaking, I mean they may know theologically that the church is the body, but practically speaking, church is the meeting. That's what brings people together, is the meeting. Are you going to the meeting? Hooray, we'll be late for the meeting. I didn't see them at the meeting. The meeting encapsulates church. 
And imagine, if you can, if Sunday meetings were canceled indefinitely. No more Sunday meetings. Where would that leave you? In bed, most people would say. Because <laughs> it's the only thing that gets me out of bed to come to the meeting. If there's no meeting, I'll stay in bed. But seriously, if it happened, that's another little ponder point, if it happened, what would that mean for you? If this fine assembly of people did not happen every week, how would that change your experience of God? Such a rhetorical question, you're all right, it's all right. Because across this region, across this nation, across the world, Christians within countless denominations and groups and streams meet together amongst themselves for a couple of hours or so on a Sunday morning. Their theology, their presentation may differ, but the content is broadly similar. Worship, teaching, fellowship. Regardless of whether you're raving Pentecostal or brethren. And in the majority of these meetings, 10% of the people actively minister, whilst 90% are essentially passive. True? You can argue with the percentages again if you want, but definitely the bottom figure is definitely bigger than the top figure, I'll tell you. So your experience of church may be to come once a week to meet with other people because you're going to the meeting to be passive. I mean, what you're experiencing now is... The sermon slot. <laughs> and let me tell you, it is probably the most inefficient and ineffective means of instruction and motivation. And a very poor vehicle for stimulating change. Because by this time next week, maybe sooner, maybe even this time tomorrow, you will have forgotten the vast majority of what I've said and the little that you recall will have, I should think, little long-term impact on your life. Negligible. Strange, isn't it, that we do these things? We come together and we meet and we sit and we listen to somebody talking which we agree with or we don't agree with what they've said and then the content that we hear has very little impact on our life. Church. So, is this what was birthed at Pentecost? Is this what Pentecost was all about? Are we experiencing, are we living out what Pentecost was all about? Now, the New Testament experience was a little different. 
It says in Acts 2, verses 42 to 47, Every believer was faithfully devoted to following the skilled instruction and training of the apostles. Their hearts were mutually linked to one another, sharing communion and coming together regularly for all kinds of prayer. A deep sense of holy fear and awe swept over everyone, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. All the believers were in fellowship as one body, and they shared with one another whatever they had. Out of generosity, they even sold their assets to distribute the proceeds to those who were in need among them. Daily they met together in the temple courts and in one another's homes to celebrate communion. They shared meals together with joyful hearts and tender humility. They were continually filled with praises to God, enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord kept adding to their number daily those who were coming to life and entering into fellowship with Christ and his people. That's church. That is church. Now the Greek word for church is ecclesia. One of the buzzwords at the moment, or it's been buzzing around for a while anyway. People talking about ecclesia rather than church. Possibly because it is slightly different. Slightly different. And in New Testament times, ecclesia meant this. A gathered community of believers, living under an open heaven, individually and corporately filled with Holy Spirit, hosting God's presence, built together as living stones around a divine vision or blueprint, generous with their time, their money and their possessions, joined relationally in love to fulfill God's purpose, a reflection of heaven's government and an expression of God's kingdom and authority on earth. This is what was birthed at Pentecost. Now, Ecclesia cannot be built by human effort, planning, or desire. It's not a matter of saying, oh, I've got a good idea for something we can do next week. Because Jesus is the architect. And opposition to Ecclesia comes not from the world, because when the world gets a smell of that, when the world sees that, they come running to your door. So the opposition to Ecclesia, to church, church as in New Testament church, doesn't come from the world, but it comes from the religious spirit that dwells within counterfeit church, where they misquote scripture, and where they are rooted in dead tradition and legalism. That's where the opposition to church as God wants church to be, comes from. And it's interesting, isn't it, that whenever there's a move of God, the people who actually resist that move the most are the people from the last move of God, 
who've camped their lives around the revelation that they got 20 years ago, which was real and vibrant 20 years ago and was fresh from God 20 years ago. And so they've camped there. And then when they see something new happening, they go, oh, no, 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 that's heresy. That's wrong. And they stand there and they throw stones from their revelation point because they've not moved on with God. That's why your theology, your understanding of God should be fluid and should, should develop. If you still believe what you believe about God and if it's the same as what you believed about God five years ago, you've got some catching up to do. It either means that your relationship with God's not moved in five years, which is worrying, or that in a sense you had just got it down pat. Not that pat. <laughs> you got it down pat. You'd suddenly sussed it all. You dotted the I's and crossed the T's. You knew what it was all about. And so that became your entrenched theology. And then when God starts doing something new, you're just left behind. You're just left behind. That's why, treading on, treading on toes here, I think. That's why the Spirit is more important than the Bible. Okay? It's true. I hate to break this news to you. The Spirit is more important than the Bible. The Bible doesn't contain everything. In fact, the Bible tells us it doesn't contain everything, even about Jesus' life. Goodness knows what it's missing from, from other things. Now, I'm not saying the Bible is wrong, with a capital W. But I am saying, I am saying, that to live a life that is where you move with the Spirit is more important than living a life where you are restricted and I use that word carefully, restricted to your understanding of the Bible. Your understanding of the Bible. So, was the early church perfect? No. It's full of people. If we could, if we could get church without people, it would be fantastic. Most leaders, most leaders have got that on their wall, you know. <laughs> Church without people, a blessing. And Scripture's honest about this. I said about the Galatian church, who were already screwing it up. And that was probably, what, 60 years after Jesus had been around? So the early church wasn't perfect. And God, in, in, in reality, is not calling us to be perfect in that sense. Otherwise, you get all screwed up about what you should and shouldn't do. Or and over the coming weeks, as we dig into what Luke has written, we will see the activity and life of the early church. And as I've already said, it consisted of ordinary people, empowered, filled, anointed, and overflowing with Holy Spirit. Because Ecclesia is a spirit-fueled organism. Right? Alive, responsive, life-giving. 
whereas church is often a tradition-bound organization, structured, immovable. So I hope this morning's made you think. If not, you can listen to the podcast and not think again. And I hope it's begun to stir a little bit of, com- of the complacency. Because it's so very easy to get complacent. Even if it's that most of us sit in the same seats that we do week after week. Just through habit. It is habit. How many other habits do we pick up? We should be hungering more for a Holy Spirit relationship and that, a development of that relationship. He is still the most unknown member of the Godhead. You know, Father God, Father God's big time. Father God's had his, you know, big. The Holy Spirit is the active member of the Godhead. He's the executive of the Godhead. He's the doer of the Godhead. We need to develop and progress our relationship with Holy Spirit. So in a minute I'm going to close in prayer and then we're going to finish with a five minute YouTube video from America. It's called, it's called Time for Church to Go Out of Business. So it's really upbeat. (laughs) Now, in America, church as a business, as an organization, is more prevalent than it is here in the UK. It's something to do with the culture of Americans, isn't it? Nevertheless, when we play this video at the end, it still highlights challenges for us. But you you might need to have to tune in to the American voice. You know what it's like? You have to kind of like, otherwise you'll miss part of it. So let's pray. I'm going to pray. You don't have to stand up and repeat anything. You're okay. Father God, over the coming weeks, as we read and learn about the early church, I pray that we may all seek a fresh encounter with Holy Spirit both individually and corporately. So that your church, your ecclesia here, may be a living organism, responsive to your leading and empowered with your presence. And all the people said, Amen. Amen. So let's play the video if we can.